Thank you, Flora. Um, I'm just going to put my water over here. I promise you it's water, not wine, unless God's done a miracle already. Um, so good morning, everybody. It's good to, uh, to see you here. And I would like to start by actually thanking you for being here, because actually, on a gloriously sunny day like today, there's a thousand other places you could be. Of course, you could be camping. Um, you could be at the beach. I've just had a selfie from, from Phil Orchard. Um, he's got one of those little drinks. It's got a little umbrella in it. And um, I thought it was David Hasselhoff at first, but it's definitely um, Phil Orchard. Um, so um, keep an eye out for that on your, on your social media channels. Um, so thank you for being here. Um, and today I am going to be talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and that is both a blessing and a curse, probably, isn't it? Because there is so much material about the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the challenge then is how do you bring something new? I mean, has anyone never, ever heard a talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan? Oh, someone's just texted in, but... <laughs> so nobody. Great, okay, excellent. So the parable of the Good Samaritan, which of course can be found in Luke chapter 10. Um, and if you've been here for the last few weeks, you will be very aware that we've been working through the parables of Jesus. Um, and I think it's, it's fair to say that throughout... Uh, not just the parables, but the Gospels, there's one thing that Jesus consistently and continually did. And that was that he was consistently and continually giving us glimpses, insights into what the kingdom of heaven looked like and looks like. And of course, one of the most effective ways of doing that is through parables. Um, we've had a few kind of dictionary definitions, as it were, of what parables are over the last few weeks. So here's mine. Um, I think you could describe uh, a parable as like a little story that expresses and symbolizes a greater truth. A little story that expresses and symbolizes a greater truth. And perhaps, arguably, the parable of the Good Samaritan is the most famous of all of those. So if you've got your Bibles or your apps, or I know many of you are professional Christians, you've got it all memorized, but if you, if you have Luke 10 in front of you, and what I said a few moments ago about trying to bring something new and fresh, what I'm actually going to do, Theo's not here, so I can just get on and do it, is we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, but what I'm then going to do is I'm going to pull in another story that sits alongside the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Phil Orchard said to us last week, didn't he, that the Holy Spirit didn't just inspire the writers of the Bible, but, they also, but also inspired the order, ordering of the Bible. And I believe that's true. So actually, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is verses 25 to 37. And then I'm going to continue reading the whole of Luke's gospel. No, I'm going to keep reading the next four verses which is Jesus at the home of Martha and Mary, which is verses 38 to 42. So the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you've got that in front of you, that's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And then I'm just going to keep reading uh, the story, the account of Jesus at the home of Martha and Mary, which is verses 38 to 42. Okay. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A Christian celebrity pastor happened to be going down the same road with his entourage, and when he saw the man, he passed on by the other side, too busy posting pictures on Instagram. So too an archbishop, when he came to the place and saw the beaten man, drove on by in his chauffeur-driven car. But a Syrian refugee, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He called him an Uber, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, then took him to the hotel and took care of him. The next day, he took out 50 pounds and gave it to the hotel owner. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And then moving on into the second story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, so a little bit of context then. First, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We have this encounter between Jesus and a lawyer, and Jesus tells arguably the most socially charged story ever recorded in the Gospels. A man is attacked, he's beaten, robbed, left half dead on the side of the road. The first two men, and it will probably have said in your Bible, the priest and the Levite, were both, of course, very socially respected, had a lot of authority, they were elite Jewish men. In fact, the Levites were one of the original 12 tribes of the ancient nation of Israel, and they were a very significant and privileged tribe. And if you read the history, you will learn that actually from the tribe of Levi came the likes of Moses, Aaron, Samuel, some of the, the big names of the Old Testament. And yet despite this, the priest and the Levite walk on by. They do nothing to help the robbed, beaten man. And the third man, of course, as we read, was the Samaritan. Now, we haven't got time to go into all of the history as to why Samaritans and Jews disliked each other. It goes all the way back to the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 BC, and it kind of flows from there. There's a lot of history in there. But it's safe to say, by the time we get to the Jesus' time, the Samaritans were hated and belittled by the Jews. They were considered almost a sort of half-breed, racially inferior. 
Jews certainly did not do business with Samaritans. They did not share food with them. They did not engage with them. They wouldn't even talk with them. You'll notice in verse 37 of the passage we read that the lawyer couldn't even say the name Samaritan, could he? He just said the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say Samaritan. And in fact, history suggests that Jews would add cost, time, and effort just to avoid having to go through Samaria, where the Samaritans lived. A bit like we might do today with the city of Portsmouth. Yet, of course, it is the Samaritan, history knows him as the good Samaritan, who offered help and assistance to the robbed, beaten man. So, quick question for you. Sorry to interrupt your nap. Who is the Good Samaritan? Would anyone like to shout out? Who does the Good Samaritan represent? Nine times out of ten, if you're asked a question in church, the answer. That's it. Thank you, Catherine. Jesus. Nine times out of ten, if you're asked a question in church, it's Jesus. So Jesus, certainly one quite significant interpretation of this is that Jesus is the good Samaritan. And who's the robbed, beaten man? Us, humanity. Yeah, thank you again, Catherine. Well done. Two gold stars. Excellent. So the robbed, beaten man is us, isn't it? That's humanity. That's us trying to make our way through life. But we've been beaten, stripped, robbed, left half dead by our failures, our shame, and our sin. The law, the old covenant, comes in the shape of the priest and the Levi, Levite, but can actually do nothing for our plight, our pain, and our brokenness in that moment. The law, the old covenant, with its traditions and its rules and its rituals, just walks on by. And then comes the Good Samaritan, Jesus, the new covenant, comes along to rescue us. Jesus loves us, helps us, heals us, and saves us, reconnecting us back with God. And as we read in the parable, the Good Samaritan bandages the man's wounds, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, and pays the innkeeper to look after the man. And then there's this beautiful verse, verse 35, the Good Samaritan says to the innkeeper, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Does that ring any bells? That's the resurrection, isn't it? That's a picture of the resurrection. Returning to pay the beaten man's debts. Jesus returns in resurrection to pay our debts. Jesus in this moment, in this parable, is talking about what he has done and what he is doing for beaten, broken, hurting humanity. So we now move, that's story number one, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We now move from the lawyer to the living room. Jesus at the house of Martha and Mary. And again, I'm sure it's a story we're all very familiar with. Martha is busy rushing around the house, cleaning, tidying, preparing food. Mary is just sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to him talking. Mary is totally captivated 
by Jesus' beauty and majesty and his love. But when we look at this second story of Martha and Mary, who looks more like the Good Samaritan? Martha or Mary? Martha. She looks more like the Good Samaritan in this moment, doesn't she? She's rushing around, doing all the preparing, the organizing. She's proactive. She's helpful. And Mary's just sat there seemingly doing nothing. She's just listening to Jesus. And yet, Jesus says, when referring to Mary, that it is Mary who has chosen what is better. So what do we do with the go and do likewise in the first story and the Mary has chosen what is better in the second story? Because they seem quite different things, don't they? How do we bridge that apparent gap. Does God want us to be like the proactive, helpful, good Samaritan or the seemingly indolent, carefree Mary? Does God want us to be sat around or out on the streets? If you're only going to remember one thing from this talk, it is this. How God views us should shape how we view others. How God views us should shape how we view others. Jesus communicates this profound reality through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus essentially, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, is saying, love like me, live like me. But what does that require? Living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. What does that require? It requires time spent with Jesus. If we, like Mary, do the seemingly illogical thing and spend time in Jesus' presence, reading his word, praying, listening, learning, being in community, seeking relationship, connection, accountability, I can guarantee that you will start to see people, situations, and needs in new and different ways. Speaking and bringing love, life, and hope. As we expand our generosity, increase our hospitality, that is when communities, cities, and cultures can truly be changed. So spending time with Jesus, like Mary did, and in the ways I've just described, is, I would suggest, the training ground, as it were, the launch pad to going and doing likewise. Of course, if we neglect spending time with Jesus that going and doing likewise, as well-meaning as it may be, at least initially, can very quickly become hijacked by our own agendas, our own egos, and our own priorities, rather than God's plans and purposes. And tragically, we've probably all encountered someone, we've read on the news perhaps, even very, very recently within the last few months, of so-called missionaries, evangelists, pastors, and leaders who appeared to be going and doing likewise but had gradually lost sight of Jesus. Rather like a ship without a rudder, still afloat at least for a while, but with no direction and very vulnerable to the waves around. But if you're committed to Jesus, 
if you open your Bible to learn, your heart to pray, and your life to love, if you're committed to and actively engaged in the vision and life of this church community, then I promise you, you will naturally find yourself in an environment that encourages, equips, and empowers you to go and do likewise. So go and do likewise. That brings us full circle right back to the heart of the parable of the Good Samaritan. So go and do likewise is the call, but who are we called to? Our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? Notice in the parable of the Good Samaritan that the robbed, beaten man in the parable isn't given a name. He isn't given an identity. And I think this might be deliberate. The robbed, beaten man could represent our lonely colleague at work, the person serving us in the supermarket checkout, the stranger sat on the bus, the people coming out of the mosque, all of those people are our neighbor. And Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 39, to love your neighbor as yourself. Kester Bruin, who is an author, a Christian author and speaker, I know a number of you have read his books as well, said this, Jesus' command to love our neighbor is a command to love all strangers precisely because we too were once strangers to God and yet were welcomed in. Jesus' command to love our neighbor is a command to love all strangers precisely because we too were once strangers to God and yet were welcomed in. The good Samaritan loved his neighbor. Despite the cost and the inconvenience, despite the social and cultural tensions that existed between Samaritans and Jews, Now, I don't know about you, but I find it hard to love people who just sometimes annoy me. Anyone else relate to that? Let alone people who marginalize me, curse me, belittle me. But Jesus said, go and do likewise. And it would be very easy for me to end the sermon there and just say, okay, we're we're all going to be like the Good Samaritan. Let's try and be extra nice to people and smile a lot. Let's make sure we double any tips at the restaurant to the waiter or waitress. Let's always let someone else go ahead of us in the supermarket queue. And let's pray a blessing over that person who's just cut us up on the motorway. Everyone up for that? Everyone get on board with that? Now, there's no reason to argue with any of those things. They are all good, kind, nice things to do. But can I make an observation? If that was the simple, easy, straightforward remedy to a broken, hurting world, it would have worked by now, wouldn't it? In fact, it would have worked a long, long time ago. If we could have the um, first slide up behind me, that would be great. Good, it's not the picture of Phil on the beach. It's, that's great. So the key question then is, well, what does being the good Samaritan actually look like? And these are just some of my thoughts. You may have more that you would add to that list. I would suggest it means mercy and compassion, not judgment, 
should be our starting point, our default setting. It means contributing and serving, rolling our sleeves up, getting our hands dirty, like the Good Samaritan did in the story, not just sitting on the sideline ignoring, criticizing, or complaining. It means bringing hope and healing through prayer and words of encouragement. It means sacrificing time, even when it's inconvenient and interferes with our busy schedules. It means not expecting anything in return. Being the Good Samaritan is about transformation, not about transaction. It may often mean going the extra mile. After helping the beaten man, the Good Samaritan paid the innkeeper for those additional expenses he may have had. The Good Samaritan went the extra mile. It may often mean having to overcome social and cultural barriers and tensions. It may even occasionally mean being misunderstood, unpopular, even persecuted. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 44, you have heard that it was said, love your friends, hate your enemies. But now I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think it's safe to say that being the Good Samaritan, doing all of those things, and probably more that you might add to that list, is unlikely to be comfortable. Being the Good Samaritan also is not a one-off event. It's a whole attitude, it's a whole lifestyle. But it's through that attitude and through that lifestyle that we bring hope where there is brokenness, healing where there is pain, life where there is death. Now, it's a well-known old saying, a well-known old adage, but one I believe worth repeating. You come to reflect the people you spend most of your time with. Anyone heard that before? You come to reflect the people you spend most of your time with. Or put another way, as my old PE teacher at school used to say, you can't soar with eagles if you're hanging out with turkeys. If you're hanging out with Jesus, if you're spending time with Jesus, then you are hanging out with someone, you are spending time with someone who doesn't just talk about love or express love, you're spending time with someone who is the very definition and personification of love. And as we reflect and communicate the love of Jesus to those around us, that's again when cities, cultures, and communities can be changed. As people come to realize that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real, that Jesus is active. Following Jesus is not about projects or programs. Jesus didn't even come to found a religion. He came to forge a relationship with you, with me, with broken, hurting humanity. Love flows from spending time at the feet of Jesus. Being the good Samaritan flows from spending time at the feet of Jesus. Reading his word, praying, listening, learning, being in community, seeking relationship, connection, and accountability. And that is why our Sunday morning services like this, as well as our hubs and pattern groups and other midweek activities, are so, so important. They are places that I know they do. They encourage, they equip, they empower. Encourage, equip, and empower.
Being a good Samaritan is about going and doing likewise, bringing life and hope and healing to a broken and hurting world. I made reference to um, David Hasselhoff earlier, didn't I? He's not here, it's all right. I'm not just going to suddenly introduce him. Um, but he was, he was very much one of those figures in the 1990s, wasn't he? Everyone kind of knew him. If you were born since the year 2000, you've no idea what I'm talking about. But it's scary to think we're already 23 years into the 21st century. Does that make anyone feel old? I'll say it again, 23 years into the 21st century. So we're nearly a quarter of a century into the 21st century. And yet, despite all the suffering and sacrifice of the 20th century, even this morning, if you go on the BBC app, war and conflict is still with us. Technology, the internet, Google, social media have not solved all our problems. You could argue they've actually increased them. And even today in 2023, the very ideas of truth, reality and freedom are increasingly open to interpretation, manipulation and distortion. The world needs good Samaritans more than ever in our troubled, confused world. And nobody else brings the good Samaritan message of hope and life that we as Christians do. The parable of the good Samaritan has two clear sides to it, doesn't it? There's God's attitude to humanity and our attitude to others. Remember what I said earlier, how God views us should shape how we view others. God's attitude to humanity and our attitude to others. How God views us should shape how we view others. So there's some questions I'd just like to throw up on the screen as I draw to a close. And it'd be great perhaps if the um, worship team are able to join me. And also if the prayer team are available as well. So consider everything you've just heard about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And now I want you to think about the people, the situations, the circumstances, and the needs that are currently around you. And in light of that, consider these four questions. They all kind of connect and overlap a little bit. So where could you be bringing life right now? Where could you be bringing hope right now? Where could you be bringing healing right now? Where could you be going and doing likewise right now? I know in many respects, many of you are already doing this, but there's always going to be more people. There's always going to be more situations that we get drawn into. And as way of response, I would like to invite people to come and, and receive prayer really for for two different, quite different things. Firstly, perhaps you are looking for those opportunities to kind of answer those questions. Maybe there's those people, those situations around you. You just kind of feel like you need that conversation. You need that opportunity for that door to open. It would be great to come and re receive some prayer for that from, uh, from the team. Or perhaps, basically, Dan, I'm more like the robbed, beaten man. I'm exhausted, I'm burnt out, 
I feel robbed, beaten, stripped by life. I just need some prayer for my situation, my circumstances which are challenging, difficult. Please do come and receive prayer for that as well. Thank you very much.